0: He, <laughs> the mysterious old radio listening society a podcast dedicated to suspense crime and horror stories from the golden age of radio i'm eric i'm tim
1: and i'm joshua we love mysterious old time radio stories but do they stand the test of time that's what we're here to find out it's
2: still 2020 and thanks to COVID 19 we join each other via zoom to bring you the first of a six-part suspensorama featuring suspense episodes selected by you Our mysterious listeners. Natalie writes, Hey guys, The Dark Tower from Suspense starring Orson Welles is wonderful. If you haven't heard it, I highly recommend it. And Natalie isn't the only fan of this particular episode. The Dark Tower was also suggested by our mysterious listeners Jill and Brett
0: one of radio's most prestigious and longest-running shows. Suspense premiered on CBS in 1942 and continued to thrill audiences until its final broadcast in 1962. The show quickly gained a reputation for its mastery of the genre, attracting some of the golden age of radio's greatest talents, including the star of today's episode, Orson Welles.
1: In 1944, the year the Dark Tower was broadcast, Orson Welles was a household name thanks to the Mercury Theater's infamous War of the Worlds broadcast. The panic, real and imagined, caused by Mercury's adaptation of H.G. Wells' classic, became an enduring part of America's cultural mythology. The controversial broadcast landed The Boy Wonder, as Welles was frequently called, a contract with RKO Pictures resulting in Welles' most famous artistic endeavor, Citizen Kane. Nearly 80 years later, Citizen Kane is still considered one of the greatest films ever
2: made. The Dark Tower was based on the 1933 play of the same name written by George S. Kaufman and Alexander Woolcott. Marx Brothers nerds know George S. Kaufman as the man who wrote The Coconuts, Animal Crackers, and A Night at the Opera nerdier Marx Brothers nerds will also know Alexander Wolcott as the larger-than-life theater critic whose rave reviews helped put the Marx Brothers on the road
0: to international stardom. And now, let's listen to The Dark Tower from Suspense, first broadcast May 4th, 1944.
1: It's late at night and a chill has set in. You're alone and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker listen to the music, and listen to the voices.
3: Roma Wines presents Suspense. Roma Wines, made in California for enjoyment throughout the world. Salud. Your health, senor. Roma Wines toast the world. The wine for your table is Roma Wine, made in California for enjoyment throughout the world.
4: This is the Man in Black, here to introduce this weekly half hour of suspense. Tonight from Hollywood, we bring you Mr. Orson Welles. Mr. Welles will appear as star of the suspense drama called The Dark Tower, from the play by George S. Kaufman and the late Alexander Wolcott. But before we raise the curtain on this evening's tale of suspense, here is a message from your host, the Roma Wine Company of Fresno, California.
3: Let us picture a scene in the fashionable restaurant El Patio in Havana, Cuba. From the next table, we hear a Cuban judge of fine wines describe in glowing terms the wonderful climate and soil of our own California. When his American guest points out that his Cuban host has never been to the United States, the Cuban answers... Well, it's true I've never visited your California. But from only such perfect wine country could come sherry of such superb quality as that we have enjoyed. Roma, California sherry. Yes, by their example, wine connoisseurs of many other lands tell you that in Roma wines... ...are all the great qualities that must be present in a wine for great enjoyment. It's for this reason these wine experts of other lands import Roma wines from great distances to be enjoyed as a rare luxury. But for you, this luxury of other lands becomes a daily pleasure because you can enjoy any of Roma Wines' many different taste-appealing wine types without additional charge for import duties and expensive shipment from great distance. These two great Roma Wine features, superb quality and small cost, have made Roma Wines America's largest selling wine. I'll spell out the name for you, R-O-M-A, Roma Wines. Made in California for enjoyment throughout the world.
4: And now with the Dark Tower, and with the performance of our star, Orson Welles, as that noted actor, Damon Wellington, scion of the celebrated royal family of stage and screen, we again hope to keep you in... Suspense!
5: dare call me a ham. varlet! I will prove to the world there are no brains within that thick, teutonic skull. I'll cleave it open like an overripe melon, who thus profanes the rehearsal of my lines. Enter, if thou art man of woman born, I fear thee not. Hello, Damon. Ben Weston, you old son of a god. I heard you were back from the coast. What news on the Rialto from That cesspool of the arts known as Hollywood. Have they turned my picture to the wall at the Brown Derby yet? No, it's still there. I despise myself for wanting to know, of course. It's marvelous to have you back, Ben, old boy. Seen Jessica yet? Yes, I've seen her. Isn't she looking fine? Feeling better than she has for years, I think. You got a great thing in this play, Ben. Changed quite a bit from the original, of course. Sort of a satire on the family. Perhaps it might be more dignified to say that the family is a satire on the play. Yes, I heard about it. For instance, those lines you heard me declaiming at you, and it actually happened to me once, you know, that German, what's-his-name, who directed Macbeth, he called me a ham. And I chased him out of the theater and for four city blocks, in full costume, with a two-edged sword. Damon. there's <laughs> a little <laughs> thing I like in the second act, too. Jessica asked me why I don't stop drinking, and I say, What? Would you have me subsist entirely on food and reach the gargantuan proportions of an Orson Welles? That ought to needle a boy wonder. Amen. Damon, can't you stop clowning for a minute? Of course I can. Oh, what a rogue and peasant slave. Damon, please. Please be serious. What's the matter, old man? You know as well as I do what's the matter. No, frankly, I can't say that I do. me, the world looks rather well. Does it? And Jessica feeling better than she has for years, is she? Well, isn't she? Of course not. How could she be? And why shouldn't she be? Damon, don't you realize there's been a murder? Oh, to be sure. So there has. And a good thing, too, if you ask me. What of it? What of it? Can't you see the thing is hanging over this house like a like a curse? I hadn't noticed anything hanging over this house, profane or otherwise. And what about Jessica? Oh, I suppose it's bound to upset her a little but she's really in fine shape Ben. It's going to be marvelous in this play. There's more at stake in this than a play, Damon. The thing has never been solved. Perhaps it never will be. Perhaps that's just as well. But Jessica can't remember. Don't you understand, Damon? She can't remember. Well, well then, Jessica can't remember. Listen to me, Damon. I wouldn't mind it if it was just that other people thought she might have done it. But they would do that anyway. But, but... She does Oh, come on, Ben I don't believe it I talked to her, Damon I know Oh, I Damon, see. I love Jessica More than anything else in the world You know that Yes, Ben, I do But this way, I... I couldn't... You couldn't marry a murderer huh? <laughs> I just think it'd be rather exciting Now that you mention it I rather wish I had Instead of some of those I did marry Damon... I'm sorry Pretty serious to you, isn't it, old man? Did you think it wouldn't be? Well, to tell you the truth, Ben, I hadn't thought about it at all. That's the trouble with being an actor. As long as your part's good, you don't give a hang about the rest of the play. Have yeah. you told Jessica? Yes, we had a long talk. How did she take it? You know Jessica, she carried it off, of course. Mm. Ben, you know, in spite of all our histrionic bickering, I'm rather nuts about Jessica myself. I know you are, Damon. I have no very fundamental objections to you either. I would describe you, my dear Benjamin, as adequate. Thanks. So I think perhaps you and I'd better have a nice long heart to heart talk. What good will talking do? I think if you'll do the listening and let me do the talking, you'll see. Lend me your ears. I will a tale unfold. <laughs> Jessica, as you know, had been in a sanitarium for nearly a year. She hadn't been on the stage in more than two years. The Dark Tower was to be her first attempt to work again. All that time. I know it isn't the greatest play in the world, but it has a surefire box office appeal. Jessica needed that to get her confidence back. Well, we were just polishing up a few last-minute changes here at the house. David Torrance, the producer, you know, he was there with us. And, of course... They're the usual little
6: differences. And another thing, Damon. When you kick me in the middle of the second act. Where? You know perfectly well where. Is it absolutely essential that you boot me halfway across the stage? What do you want
5: me to do? Pull my punches? That's one of the high spots in the show. It
6: may be a high spot to you, darling, but it's just a black and blue spot to me. Very
5: well. Henceforth, I shall appear for the second act on crutches. You know, Uncle David, that's not a bad idea. Oh, now, Damon, let's be serious. There's a lot of work to do. I'm quite serious. I could throw him at her. You
6: might try throwing me a cue once in a while. The use of having a play if you just make up the lines as you go along. The
5: critics thought my ad-libbing very witty, remember, dear?
6: Oh, Damon, you're such an insufferable ham.
5: A ham. A ham. Uh, me, a now, ham. Now, come now, children, please. I uh, fail to see why I should permit that little minx to insult me with impunity, David. How
6: dare you speak to me that way? You
5: started it.
6: I did not. You
5: started You called me a ham. You
6: are ham, ham, ham.
5: Minx, minx, minx.
6: Stop
7: that brawling. But
5: soft. What light through yonder window breaks? It is the east. And Martha is the son.
7: I quite agree.
5: What? That you're a ham. Gad! I'm beset by harpies.
7: David, haven't you any control over these hirelings of yours?
8: Oh, I'm only the producer, my dear Martha. You at least are a member of the family.
7: And you at least can quit. (laughs)
6: We're terribly sorry, Aunt Martha. We've been a nuisance, I know, and I apologize. Damon, (laughs) I even apologize to you. Don't
5: be silly, Jim.
6: I've been much the worst, I know, but... I've really been terribly keyed up working again. And, you know, Ben is coming east for the opening.
7: <sighs> Love rears its ugly head. Don't be horrid, Damon.
6: It's all right. I couldn't even be angry if he was. Anyway, I'll have a husband to protect me by this time next week.
7: I can lick
5: him with one hand tied behind me.
6: Damon, seriously. I know I owe you an awful lot. Me? I hadn't actually realized how far I'd gone. These last six months have been like coming alive again. The play and Ben. Thanks, Damon.
5: Good Lord.
6: Now I think I'll dress for dinner. Let's all go out to the. I'll get it. Aunt Martha, where would you like to go? To a rest home. Hello? Who? No. No, he's not here. He's not here, I tell you.
7: (laughs) dead. Oh, darling, what is it? It was for Stanley. For Stanley. Yeah. Never mind, darling, it's all right. Just some fool who didn't know. Of course.
6: Damon, you take David and Martha out to dinner, will you? I think I'll lie down for a little while. Oh,
5: come on, Jess. You mustn't let a little thing like that upset you. I
6: know, but I'm awfully tired. Please. Jessica!
8: You'd uh, better leave her alone for a while, Martha.
7: Oh, I suppose so.
8: It was for Stanley Vance, the husband, huh? Yes. He's dead, you say?
5: Might as well tell him about it, Martha.
7: I was always for telling about it.
5: Well, you don't have to. I'd
7: rather... He was the cause of her breakdown, of course.
5: Should have been an actor. That's why Jessica married him.
7: She married him because he forced her to marry him. Uh, He controlled that girl's mind like some sort of fiendish hypnotist. My
5: dear Martha, I've always said that if Jessica was fool enough to marry a psychoanvilist...
7: Damon, stop playing the heartless brother. You saw what Stanley did to her.
5: I was in Hollywood. Perhaps that's why Damon went to Hollywood, huh? Well... What could one do? She was legally married to the man. She'd listen to no one but him.
7: Here's what happened, David. She went to this fellow to be psychoanalyzed, and in the process, something happened. I don't know what it was, but Vance acquired a power over Jessica's mind that was utterly inhuman. He married her, quite frankly, to have her support him. Then he found he'd overplayed his hand and sent her into a complete mental collapse. When he found he couldn't snap her out of it, and she was no longer a source of revenue to him, he simply decamped.
5: Hmm. You say Vance is now dead? We heard the happy news about six months ago. Some public benefactor had shot him. I've always meant to look that fella up.
7: From that very day, she began to get better. From the moment she heard the news, it was as though a spell had been lifted.
5: Hmm. Now she's practically all well. You know, it's odd that someone phoning for him after all these months.
7: Probably the sheriff just catching up.
5: Oh, I wonder who that could be.
7: Damon. You don't suppose?
5: I'll go. It may be a peasant with a petition.
9: Good evening.
5: My dear Martha, you are positively psychic. The Honorable Stanley Vance. Thank you. I trust the shock will not be too great. One knoweth not the place nor the hour when the bridegroom cometh, does one.
9: My luggage will be here shortly. Listen to me, Stanley Vance. Good evening, Martha. I regret to arrive so unceremoniously I have been ill.
5: So we have been told. We have been assured, however, that your illness was fatal.
6: Damon, I thought I...
5: Stanley. Jessica. My poor, poor
9: darling.
6: Stanley.
9: Oh, but you're ill, my dear, aren't you? You're ill. You should be resting. You're tired and exhausted, aren't you? Terribly terribly tired.
6: Yes, I am tired.
9: Oh, great. Terribly tired. I'll take you up to your room, darling. I take it we still have the same room, Martha. Listen to
7: me, Stanley Vance.
9: The poor girl, you can see how weak
7: she If you think you're going to stay under this roof for a single minute, get out!
9: Very well. Get out! Very well if you insist on being inhospitable, Martha... You'll pack your things, Jessica. We'll go to an hotel.
6: Yes. Yes, Stanley. Jessica. But I'm so
7: tired. Will you help me, Stanley?
9: Of course I will,
7: my dear. Come along. Stanley. Yes, Martha? All right, Stanley. You win. Ah. You're asking
9: us to avail ourselves of your hospitality, Martha? Yes, You can stay. That's very sweet of you, Martha. Isn't it, darling?
7: Yes. Yes, Stanley. But somehow, someday, there'll be a time of reckoning for you, Stanley Vance. And until it comes, keep out of my sight.
9: The pleasure will be all mine. Come, darling.
5: We'll go to our room now.
7: Yes, Stanley. Damon.
5: Yes, my aged auntie.
7: Damon, what are we going
5: to do? I don't know what you're going to do, Ducky, but I'm going down to the Lamb's Club and have a quadruple scotch and soda. You may think it heartless of me, but during the next few days, I simply stayed away. I think you'll understand my reasons later. As for Jessica, she was, of course, completely in his power again. And about a week later, there appeared upon the scene a gentleman who was destined to play a very substantial role in our little drama. I think you've already met him, at least on one occasion. I'll get it, Jessica, darling. Hello?
9: No, Mr. Damon Wellington isn't here. Can I take a message, please? Mr. Max Hartsfeld. Hartsfield. Uh, I'll tell him you called, Mr. Hartsfeld. I really couldn't say. Well, you can come up and wait if you like, of course, but I can't promise he'll see you. Very well, goodbye. Jessica?
6: Yes, Stanley?
9: Do you know any friend of Damon's named Max Hartsfeld? No, Stanley. He seemed extremely eager to see him. He said he'd come up here and wait.
6: Oh, I see
9: It's no matter. Tell me, darling, have you been feeling a little stronger these last few days?
6: Yes. I think perhaps I am, Stanley.
9: But of course you're not ready to go back on the stage again. Are you, darling?
6: No. Of course not, Stanley.
5: Poor darling. No more love. No more... Well, my little lovebirds... How are you two? How are you, Jessica?
6: A little stronger, I think. Am I a little stronger, Stanley?
5: Of course you are, my
9: dear. Uh, Jessica, I think you'd better leave us now. There's something I want to talk over with Damon.
6: Yes, Stanley.
9: I'll see you again very shortly, darling.
6: Yes, Stanley.
9: Well, Damon, I've been wanting to talk to you for some time.
5: Really? I wish I could say the same.
9: I suppose you realize, Damon, that... It's out of the question for Jessica to go on in the play in her present condition. That's uh, kind of
5: the point We advance have a pressing engagement with a pin-up girl? And I have got to change into my zoot suit. <sighs> no, seriously, Damon. I
9: know that you somehow connect me with Jessica's condition. By an
5: odd coincidence, I do. What of it?
9: I know it would make you and everyone very happy if Jessica... Could go on in the play.
5: Aha, uh-huh, the light at last illuminates maddled wits, so it's a shakedown. A shakedown, is it, Stanley? My dear Damon, I really don't know what you're talking about. Look here, about. my larcenous in law. I've been shaken down by experts on every conceivable count, including the Man Act in my time, and I can smell them a mile away. What you propose is that for certain financial considerations, you will leave this happy home, Jessica will recover, and she can go on in the play. The answer is no. There won't be any play without her, Are you suggesting that my name is not sufficient to draw the suckers? I can get a dozen people to play Jessica's part. Margaret O'Brien, Marjorie Maine, Daisy, Agnes Moorhead. Makes no difference to me, anybody at all.
9: Don't try to bluff me, Damon. After all this build-up, you won't dare go on without
5: Jessica. You little know me, stinky. You may consider your little farce as having closed on opening night. As for Jessica, I'm very much afraid that she's made her bed, and now she'll have to lie in it. There's no cure for her short of murder with yourself as a victim, and I do not propose to put my neck in the hangman's noose. Good night.
9: I think you'll see things my way a little God later, Damon. I did. By the way, did I have any calls? Oh, yes. A Max Hartsfeld call Max said he was Hartfeld. coming up here to wait for you.
5: Good heavens, when? He's on his way now, I imagine. Look, tell him I'm out. Will you go going to Hollywood or something. Fellow's been pestering me all week, wants to buy into the show, and I simply don't want to see him. Well, he
9: wants to buy into the
5: show. Yes, he I... does not share your lamentable lack of faith in my talent, Stanley, and he's dying to buy into the show.
9: But does he. No, Jessica won't be able to
5: of appear. Of course he does, you idiot. Everybody does. Don't you read the trade papers? And now good night, repulsive. I have other fish to fry. Toodle-oo, flat top.
9: Jessica. Oh, Jessica, my dear.
6: I'm coming, Stan.
9: Tell me, Jessica... The Dark Tower, the play you were going to appear in with Damon. You have an interest in it, don't you?
6: Yes. Yes, I think I do.
9: An equal interest with Damon?
6: With Damon,
9: yes. Uh, How much do you suppose that interest is worth, Jessica? A
6: hundred thousand dollars, I think.
9: A hundred thousand dollars, huh? Yes, that was it. Have you thought about what you're going to do with it now that you can't appear in the play yourself?
6: No, Stanley, I haven't.
9: You see, I'm not at all sure the play will be a success without you, Jessica.
6: I don't know, Stanley. And so it might
9: be wise to sell your share of it before it opens. Don't you agree, Jessica?
6: Yes. Yes, I do agree.
9: And, Jessica, if I could find a buyer, and I think perhaps I can... It might be best if I were to handle the details for you. Don't you think?
6: Yes, Stanley. You handle
9: it. The fact of the matter is, there's a man coming up here this evening, a friend of Damon's, Max Hartsfeld. Do you remember I asked you about him? Yes. Won't be any trouble to you, darling. All you'll have to do is sign the necessary papers.
10: Excuse me. Is this the residence of Mr. Damon Wellington? Mr. Hartsfell. Yes. Oh, come in, please. Thank you. Mr. Wellington is at home? No, and we don't expect him, but
9: he's discussed with me the reason for your visit, and I think perhaps you and I can reach a satisfactory agreement. And you are? Uh, Stanley Vance. I'm Miss Wellington's husband. This is my wife. How do you do? Uh, how do you do? i very glad. Uh, sit down, please, Mr.
10: Hartsfield. May I have your hat and coat? Thank you. And your gloves, please. Uh, I'm sorry, it's, it's, it's eccentricity, perhaps. I always keep them on. Oh. And <laughs> uh, <now>, Mr.
9: Hartsfield... <laughs> Damon tells me that you wish to buy an interest in the new Wellington play, The Dark Tower. Yes,
10: I've been seeking an interview with Mr. Wellington. Yes, so he's told me. However,
9: Damon has very definitely made up his mind not to sell any part of his interest
10: in the play. You are sure of this, Mr. Vance? Oh, yes, quite sure. I had a long talk with him about it only this evening. (laughs) I see. I will not conceal from you that this is a source of great disappointment to me, Mr. Vance. I have such a deep admiration for the talents of Mr. Wellington. I've ventured in a few previous theatrical enterprises. Now, at last, I hope... I quite understand your feelings, Mr.
9: Hartsfeld. And I think that I may be able to help you. Yes? Yes. You see... Damon owns only half of the Wellington interest in the place. My wife, Miss Jessica Wellington, owns the other half. And she, we, if the offer were sufficiently attractive...
10: Uh, indeed. You, you are willing to sell, then, Miss Wellington? Yes. Whatever Stanley says. Good. Then perhaps we should get down to detail, no? <laughs> yes, Mr. Vance And Miss Wellington, I'm afraid you will think me very rude. Not at but, all. Uh, what is it? Uh, since the talents of Miss Wellington's brother uh, must be considered the very essence of our bargaining, and since you are acting as her agent in any event, I wonder if she would forgive me if I ask that you and I conclude this part of our business <laughs> alone, Mr. Rentsch. Oh, of course. <laughs> Jessica will understand perfectly.
9: Won't you, my dear?
6: Yes, Stanley.
9: Run along then, darling. I'll call you when we need you.
6: Yes, Stanley. <sighs>
10: Now, Mr. Vance, I imagine you will wish to know a little more about the man with whom you are dealing. Here's my card. I'm staying at the Waldorf. I've written the room number on the card for you. Well, there's no <laughs> need, really. Maybe. Yes. But before we discuss terms, there is one other thing.
9: Yes? Yeah?
10: I wonder... You do not know me, do you, Mr. Vance? Know you? I, I... You do not know why I've been looking forward with such pleasure to an interview with you? Alone. I know, I... I... It's very simple. It's very simple, really. It's it's just that I'm... (sighs) I'm going to kill you. To kill me? Really, Mr. Hartzfeld? With these two hands. And before you die... Before you die...
5: I want you to know the reason. Jessica... No. No, no. So you see, Ben, there is your murderer, Mr. Max Hartsfeld. And I hope you're duly grateful to him. An elusive fellow, Hartsfield. The police have been trying to find him for two weeks. They never will. He Uh, left no fingerprints,
10: you see. Uh, He always kept his gloves on. It's uh, an eccentricity. Damon. (laughs) Wait a minute. (laughs) Do you mean you? Uh, My dear mutton, my dear muttonhead.
5: Listen, darling, the whole thing's perfectly clear. It's as plain as the putty nose on Max Hartsfield's face. I still can't get it into my head. Benjamin, if you don't know who Max Hartsfield is by now, you are the only person within the sound of my voice who does not. You mean you impersonated... Then it wasn't Jessica. Jessica? (laughs) She never could have done it. The girl has talent, but no genius. But Damon murder. Murder, he says. Dear friend, you share with me a guilty secret. Your lips are sealed. Come, in the words of Hamlet, never so help you mercy. Note that you know ought of me. Swear by my sword. What? Swear! I swear? Well said, old mole. Well, I think that winds up the case, Watson. Uh, Jessica will receive by registered post a signed confession by Max Hartsfeld, bound in vellum. That should end her worries. You may consider it as my wedding present. It will be a work not without literary merit, although written lefty... I should prefer it to be published posthumously. I look forward to a long and brilliant career in the theater. I should not care to terminate it abruptly upon so paltry a characterization as the late Max Hartsfeld. Music. Curtain. (laughs)
4: And so closes The Dark Tower by Alexander Wolcott and George S. Kaufman. And starring Orson Welles, tonight's tale of... Suspense. Suspense is produced and directed by William Spear. If we could bring
3: to this microphone a man typical of all Roma wine dealers, this is what he might tell you. I sell a lot of the good Roma
8: wines.
3: They are, you know, America's
8: largest selling wines... My Roma Wine customers, I've noticed, are sociable people who enjoy entertaining friends. Talking with me, they give a lot of credit for the success of their entertaining to the enjoyable Roma Wines they serve. They're thrifty people, too, these buyers of Roma Wines. What else could offer so much
3: enjoyment for so little cost? Only pennies a glass by actual check. Now, that doesn't leave much for me to add, except this, perhaps. If you are not already one of the millions enjoying Roma wines regularly, make your own taste test of any of Roma Wines' many different taste-delighting California wine types. Such as the delicious tangy Roma Sherry, or the hearty Roma Burgundy, or the sweeter, heavier Roma Port. And discover for yourself why Roma Wines are winning international praise voiced in this phrase. Roma Wines are truly magnificent. Let me repeat the name... R-O-M-A, Roma Wines. Made in California for enjoyment throughout the world. This is Orson Welles, ladies and gentlemen. Next
5: week's suspense will, as is its policy from time to time, do the unexpected in the way of casting. Because you're going to hear the country's leading comic juvenile, Mr.
3: Eddie Bracken, as a dramatic actor. I look forward to hearing that, I know you do too. Ensure your baby's future by ensuring your country's future. Buy war
4: bonds for your baby today. Don't forget then, next Thursday, same time, you will hear Eddie Bracken in <laughs> Suspense. Presented
3: by Roma Wines. R-O-M-A. Made in California for enjoyment throughout the world. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting
0: System. That was the dark tower from suspense here on the mysterious old radio listening society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric, I'm Tim and I'm Joshua. And that uh, is the first of our suspense orama. rama uh,
2: One of the reasons we're doing this is because suspense is hands down one of our most requested episodes. And so we were looking at our backlog, and we had all these episodes of suspense requested by you guys. And so we thought this would be a fun way to sort through them and put them together. And we've arranged them in chronological order, too, just to be extra nerdy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um. I have a lot of questions I need answered about this, but am I getting this right? That in this episode of suspense where they're redoing the play, the dark tower, the characters in this are performing the play, the dark tower. However, what this episode is, is the play, the dark tower.
2: Yes, but I guess I, having not seen the original play, nor the movie, just assumed that was part of the original Broadway play, too, that it was a play about people doing a play called The Dark Tower. I have no idea. I didn't do any research past George S. Kaufman and Alexander Wolcott. But
0: if they were doing a play about The Dark Tower in a play called The Dark Tower, then the play that they were doing in The Dark Tower would be the same plot as the play... Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> you follow, <laughs> it, recursive. follow my confusion? <laughs> but that's it, also
2: what this whole thing is about, is yeah. the Russian doll element.
0: Unless the play The Dark Tower in the play The Dark Tower that they're doing has a completely different plot than the actual one they're living.
1: It's based on the board game.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I know I've hijacked this whole conversation. There's much more things that are more important to talk about, but I needed to know... Was the play the same as the plot they were living So you're
1: wondering, if I could magically enter the world of this radio program and I went and saw that play, would that play be this radio program's plot? Yes. Exactly. You're sitting in the audience watching that show, and in that show there's actors, playing actors who are in a play called The Dark Tower. Yes. Is what you're really asking, did Orson Welles really kill a guy? (laughs) yes yes he did
0: there's a layer there that was making me crazy the only way it doesn't make me crazy is if the play that the characters are in the dark tower is not the same plot as what they're currently living
2: that's what I assumed is that it was a completely different play but now my mind is blown
0: (laughs) see I cannot drink that much bourbon and listen to anything (laughs) (laughs) now I see what happened well, thanks for joining us, Tim. Tell him stuff. <laughs> That's our breakdown of this. You've been listening to our podcast of drinking bourbon and staggering through podcasts. Here's my second question. This one you can't answer. This entire premise is Orson Welles playing a caricature of himself, which turns out to be not too far from being a caricature. <laughs>
2: That he himself is not too far from a caricature, right?
0: He's playing yeah. a caricature of himself, Orson Welles is. Yes, but what he thinks might be over the top, and really, this is a, a big, giant spoof on me. I really know that's pretty much who you are.
2: Oh, we're gonna disagree. <laughs>
0: ham, 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 ham,
2: minx, minx, ham, Minx! I don't think he went around yelling ham and minx. <laughs> See, in he was my head, in a, a Dr. Seuss book,
0: <laughs> in my head. The character he was playing in this is exactly how I pictured him in everyday real life walking around. (laughs) I'm sure the
1: director was just like, Orson should just tone it down a little bit for this performance.
2: (laughs) I understand that uh, we like to give Orson Welles a little bit of grief, but also I think very clearly he is hiding his performance in the second half as max by upping how over the top he is it creates a greater distinction between
1: the two character voices yep i think he's full-on hilarious in this show i really love
2: every second of it because what you have is orson welles at his scene chewing best also given dialogue written by two of that time period's wittiest writers so the dialogue is just killer throughout most right of it. it's one of those things that when it kicks into the plot mechanic dialogue it's very perfunctory and then yeah. it gets back to Orson Welles being witty yeah I mean the opening is seven minutes long and it's great and I was laughing and lapping every bit of it up and then realized oh that's just a framing sequence <laughs> he's now flashing back to tell the actual story right And that was pretty impressive, too. And it just struck me that they were just having loads of fun.
0: I want to be clear. I really loved this episode. And I loved Orson Welles' portrayal of himself. I thought he was a dead-on impression of himself. And, uh, (laughs) no, I think that it's really well written, really funny. But also the fact that he's playing this actor that is so over the top, he's so non-empathetic or caring and so self-absorbed that you get no idea that he even cares about anything that's going on around him. Therefore, throwing all the suspicion off of him completely. When in reality, the entire time the character is planning something, making it seem like I don't care what happens or what's going on, but really he was very involved. So I thought it was very intricate. I thought it was very cool. I thought it was very well done. I enjoyed every minute of this. And yes, it was hilarious on top of that.
1: It was I mean, it was really nice writing in that all that bluster is clear, but it's also clear. He really cares about his sister. and He's really taking yeah. care of her as best as possible. That's
2: what I thought on my first listen, but it's, open to interpretation I think. He just because, loves killing? Well no but that he does not want his play to be ruined. He has that great <laughs> line when he's uh, talking ah. to the man at the top where he says if your part's good you don't give a hang about the rest of the play. My first time through I was exactly thinking oh he deep down loves his sister and this is just all a lot of show and I think that could very well be it but also he's so good at it and we never get inside his like inner self. We don't know anything other than what he's telling Ben in that framing sequence. So he could have still just done it to keep everything going the way he liked it. Anything to avoid Agnes Moorhead.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think that you're right. You're onto something there, Joshua. But the more I, you know, I think about that perspective and possibility the more I just think what drives this plot and gives it the gravity is the concept that he is pretending to be, in a certain sense, such a self-absorbed, I-don't-care-all-about-himself kind of person, that he would not be suspected in any way of doing what he ended up doing, that it was all a very master plan. To take care of his sister. Uh, I
2: think it was all a master plan. I just don't know that we know whether it was to take care of his sister or to make sure his lucrative play goes on stage. Um, And
0: I think it has more weight if it's got that feel-good ending. (laughs)
2: Yes, (laughs) Yes. and I think that's probably what is intended. But what I like about it is that they don't say for sure, that they never really let you inside his head. And that's unusual for suspense that usually uses a first-person narrator and really lets you know for sure what the motivations are. It's very rare for suspense to let the murderer get away.
0: I was just going to say that. Not only is it rare, but then you have to ask yourself, yeah, but he killed a despicable, horrible human being, so did the ends justify the means?
2: It depends how good the Dark Tower play is, really, so we can't
6: can't (laughs) know.
0: (laughs) Well, they knew how it was going to end because they were doing what was happening to them On stage, they were rehearsing exactly what was going on in their life because Uh, they were doing... If the
1: brother-in-law had seen the show, like, I am not going into that house.
2: (laughs) I just love that Orson Welles has enough of a sense of humor about himself and is so aware of this persona that he intentionally leans into as a bombastic showman uh, that he's willing to make not just a little fun of himself, But he has the very specific lines about his weight, about being sensitive about it. He delivers the line. That'll really needle the boy wonder, eh? Back to your earlier point about the play within a play. This is Wells mocking his mockers by mocking himself. It's really complicated. It's like that N.C. Escher drawing of the hand, drawing the hand that's drawing the other hand. And you're like, what? what?
0: which is why I thought there was a possibility that they were in a play because of all those other things. I went, well, maybe it's at that level. Maybe it just keeps unraveling. Hey, speaking of the play, before we move on to any other point, I just want to get this out. Uh, In 1938, there was a community players production of this play where the part of Orson Welles was played by Richard Nixon. (laughs) And the uh, woman was played by a Thelma Pat Ryan, who would later become Richard Nixon's wife. So Richard Nixon, the president, former president, met his wife in- Not the the sushi chef. (laughs) Right. Met his wife in the play, The Dark Tower, when they were on stage Um, as actors.
1: I wonder if he just sweat through
2: all his makeup.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that a crazy little stab I brought? That is
2: crazy.
1: crazy.
2: I am not a murderer. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that was Admiral Akbar. Sorry, you know, I, I get them confused. I think you guys must have appreciated, too, as stage actors, just all the ridiculous, over-the-top rehearsing bits. I want to use the line, who doth profane the rehearsal of the lines? <laughs> 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 and uh, his sister complaining about being kicked too hard uh, on stage. You might want to throw me a
1: cue once in a while.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I love that line. Ow. Uh, <laughs> what's funny about that is there's a famous... George S. Kaufman anecdote about his time working with the Marx Brothers when they're performing his play that he wrote and how frustrated he became with the ad-libs. And there's an anecdote about he's backstage with a friend during one of the shows and he interrupts the person and says, shh, I think I just
0: heard one of my lines.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So I think that had to be a little pointed on his part too.
0: Right. I did not know this plot right? So I didn't know what was going to happen. I was going on and I had a lovely 20 seconds of Mr. Chatsfield being in that house or Hartsfeld or whatever it is, Mr. Hartsfeld being in that house and not having any idea that that was Orson's voice, that the twist of this thing that, that Orson had disguised himself. I didn't know it was coming. It was at a certain point where I went, that sounds a little like Orson Welles. And then had the moment of, oh, how good of Orson to double up on a roll?
5: <laughs> <You know>?
0: Like, <laughs> yeah. hey, good for you. Way to double up. Take one for the team. And then the slow burn of, oh, he's the guy. <laughs> so the reveal of this for me caught me off guard and it was super fun. And also I liked listening to Orson Welles do some character work other than just be Orson Welles. Mm-hmm.
1: They threw out two clues uh, that I caught. One, the the first one was when Orson Welles was introducing this part of the story. He was saying that I was not around much for reasons that you will that will become clear. And then when the phone call happens, you don't hear the other voice in the line. That those two things connected for me. I'm like, nah, that's Orson Welles predicting to be that guy. Um, that being said, I really enjoyed the performance of it and. It was a nice amount of time. They didn't really linger on the mystery of who this guy is. They just set it up, did the deed, and resolved it. So I had a good time. I agree. I
2: think it's structured in a way that if you figure out that it's Damon disguising his voice, which I did, much like Eric, a little bit into the dialogue where I recognized there's a telltale waver that Orson Welles gets right. his voice that I recognized. But that just told me he had some kind of scheme. I was still quite shocked when he murders the guy. I did not see that coming. I thought this was just some fraudulent way to catch him buying uh, these interests in the play or something along those lines. So it is nicely done. I, I agree.
0: There's another great meta moment. They make fun of the actor, Orson Welles, and the character Orson Welles is playing when he's doing narration and all of a sudden, the music comes up and overrides him. The, it seems to be a joke in itself as if yada, 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 so on, so forth. This guy's going to go on forever, so just bring the music up. <laughs> Otherwise, he'll never shut up.
2: And well, that's how it ends, too, with, with him calling music, curtains. Right. <laughs> I also oh,
0: like the affectation Orson has of the snort. <laughs> yes, I love that. The first time that came through, if I remember right, he had just
1: asked a question, and then was starting to get an answer, and I thought, like, and then he started snoring.
0: (laughs) Rude! (laughs) Yeah, it's an interesting little...
1: That felt like it
2: was based on somebody, like some actor that Orson worked with who annoyed him that did a pompous snort, and Orson was like, I'll take that. (laughs) (laughs) But this, guys, it's going to be my new ringtone, this line of dialogue, and the way Orson Welles does it, when he says... I have a passing engagement with a pinup girl and I have to change into my zoot. Suit.
0: <laughs> it's how he says it. Even more brilliant. The other line that I loved was how he said, Good night, repulsive, toodaloo, flat top. Yeah,
2: just, <laughs> uh, the dialogue is just so fun, and Orson just wallows in it in the best
1: <laughs> way possible. I also like to, I'm just the producer. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. There's a couple really nice bits of uh, radio writing um to get exposition in uh, at some point later on Orson says it's as plain as the putty nose on Maxwell's face just to sort of let you know that he had also disguised himself physically not just his voice which is why Stanley couldn't recognize him. I mean you assume that but it
1: was just nice bits
2: of detail throughout.
1: Yes. They did that with other things too of filling in the detail later to confirm your ideas of like the fact that the two of them were siblings. It took a while for that to come out. Yes.
0: Yeah. They didn't just give you all the information at the top. It took you a while to figure out everybody's relationship to each other and where they were. Like there were moments I thought they were on the stage and they never were on the stage the show never left the house.
2: I I love this era. It's from the late thirties through the fifties where psychoanalysts have these, rasputin-like powers they're always right uh, you know some sort of evil character who understands all these human impulses and can manipulate them and he basically just walks in the door stanley and takes immediate
0: control over jessica (laughs) yep and nobody is overly freaked out when he shows up hey stanley huh (laughs) <laughs> so you're back So That's
1: probably more common back in the 30s and 40s was Like, ah, I thought you were shot
0: <laughs> We were assured you were dead <laughs> That's what they said
2: I feel like those are the parts of this script That you feel that it was a much longer script And they cut it down And they made the right decision To keep more jokes Right <laughs> And just kind of cram in the plot stuff Because that happened really fast. But it's all performed in such a theatrical manner. I accept it as this broad melodrama. Yeah. You know, whether it is literally the Dark Tower play or it is representative of the theatrical melodrama they're planning to do. Um, It's so over the top that I found it delightful. And I feel like I recognize and should be ashamed of not recognizing who played Stanley, but I don't know it wasn't
0: joseph kearns
2: no joseph kearns is the man in black yes if you recognized his voice in here yes. that's that's who that was at the top and maybe you know sometimes he doubled up maybe that was joseph kearns doing two roles and maybe that's why he
0: sounded so familiar if we only had some kind of computer thing that could look things up
2: <laughs> oh i just let listeners tell us when we're wrong it's a <laughs> lot easier
0: <laughs> well any other final thoughts before sending this to a vote yeah, there was a
1: a moment early on listening to it that I was like, I gotta find out who suggested this, uh, and thank you, Natalie, Jill, and Brett, because it was I felt disturbed at how much in my head you guys must have been of like, wow, I'm liking this a lot. <laughs> I'm I'm suspicious of how much I like this.
0: <laughs> well, I'll start uh, with vote. It definitely stands the test of time. I don't know if it's a classic, just because the plot itself is more about other things than the actual plot. It's not a very suspenseful plot. It was certainly really well done, really well written, and great character work. And yeah, I loved every second of it.
1: I will call this a classic. Um, uh, You're absolutely right. The actual plot is kind of perfunctory. It's choreography in some ways. I don't know why I just something chose to be dismissive about choreography. You know, dancers, terrible people. Um, but I'll, I will call it a classic because of this pairing of writers and performers who really came together and synchronized well to make something pretty amazing, I thought. So, classic.
2: I guess I agree with both you guys. I can see saying it's not quite a classic because I think you almost have to have a lot of old-time radio knowledge um, it's not a beginner level classic. Right. <laughs> shall I say. It, it's an advanced level classic. Uh, you will enjoy it more if you have heard a lot more of Orson Welles and a lot more old time radio, I think, in general, and suspense as well, because it deviates a little from the suspense formula, which, again, as we've noted on the podcast before, we tend to give episodes that break the formula the uh classic vote um and i think that's why i'm tempted here because it's so unlike other things i've heard on suspense in a good way uh but i wouldn't want all suspense to be like this at all it's great because it is the outlier so yeah uh classic definitely stands the test of time thank you so much natalie uh natalie has sent us a lot of requests and they kept falling through the
1: cracks so i'm glad we finally got to this one so uh thank you natalie
0: all right tim tell them stuff
1: Please go visit ghoulishdelights.com, home of this podcast. You can find other episodes there. You can leave comments on episodes. Let us know what you think. You can link to our social media pages and make comments there. We invite you to participate in the conversation. Uh, You can also check out the podcast on other podcast dispensaries. He means marijuana. Yes, that's what I mean. (laughs) This podcast, now legal in Colorado. Uh, And we're on Spotify as well. Uh, you can also
2: go to patreon.com slash The Morals and support this podcast. We have members-only podcasts uh, that are available to our Patreon supporters. Boy, we have a lot of them. 30-some, I think, now. So uh, you would immediately get to listen to these. What kind of value is that? Not much, uh, but <laughs> it's there. Uh, we also have just started doing monthly Zoom happy hours with our Patreon supporters. So if that sounds like fun, and it was a lot of fun to hang out with everybody and uh, just yes. talk old time radio. So that's a, another uh, benefit to becoming a member of the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society. So uh, please consider it if you can.
0: Also, you can listen or watch us perform old time radio original works and recreations by going to either ghoulishdelights.com and seeing the information there or our partner in theater park square theater and you can go to parksquaretheater.org uh we do recreations and original works where we record all of it and you can purchase a ticket and listen along and then we do a Q&A afterwards. But coming up in December, we're gonna go on the stage, not with a live audience, but we are going to film ourselves performing A Christmas Carol from 1939 from the Mercury Theater on the Air, the, the actual uh, recreation of that broadcast. And you can go to parksquaretheater.org and buy tickets and watch us perform on stage for this Christmas holiday season, so do that. All right, so what's coming up next? Next,
2: we have uh, episode two of our suspense rama and it is Dime-A-Dance. Until then...
7: Look out! Ham!
2: Minx! Minx!
7: Minx!